0: our God. Amen. Thank you my brother. He brought us through many affliction. He brought us through hard trials. He's brought us through some temptations and he's still bringing us through. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Our God is an amazing God he's brought us through some stuff and he's still carrying us through hallelujah don't you just love God I don't know I love him I love him a lot you know I remember back when we were in College Street someone asked me why do we have to celebrate black history And and they made a valid point. They said, every history should be celebrated. I remember, you know, we, 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 we keep growing, don't we? I remember bringing a multinational team of young people to the church. Some of them were East Indian. Some of them were from Laos. And I had some whites as well. And I remember me feeling a little self-conscious when it's Black History Month. Like, I want everybody to feel a sense of belonging. And, and, and I remember packing them in my van all the other days of the week, it didn't matter, they'd pile up in my home. I counted about 150 of them. Everywhere in Brampton, everybody knew me as Auntie Marcel. (laughs) But when Black History Month rolled around, I had a little bit of a self-conscious feeling about these young people, that they will feel like they don't belong when they come to the church because they weren't black. Since then, I have evolved And that's wonderful, because I think I understand more now how significant this month is, not just for black people, but for all people. Uh, I remember years ago, someone said to me, why is it your boys only marry white girls? You know, people can get you self-conscious about even what you eat, what you wear, how you wake up in the morning. How you, you have control over everything? No Siri. And sometimes people push you in a corner to explain yourself. And it's not even yourself. Because really, it's not my business. I'm just mom. And you, 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 you rationalize. You make up excuses for... Why people make the choices they make. I've evolved. (laughs) I've evolved because I realize that everybody in the world needs each other and they need to learn about each other. I'm not going to explain to anyone why my children marry across race. I'm more concerned about who they are. And the people that they have in their lives who they are. This is part of the reason why we celebrate black history because in celebrating black history we come to recognize and understand our God given place in society how crucial it is that we were made black And how important it is for us to embrace our blackness and celebrate all that there is about our blackness so that people who are not black can see our significance, can celebrate with us the greatness of who we are. In fact, many of them would like to be black. (laughs) Because there's something special about us as a race and and it's because we have come through a lot and we're still standing. For our sermon message this week we're talking about standing on their shoulders. Our overall theme has to do with destiny. That that understanding that we are here by God's design And we need to awaken that call. It should not be just one month in the year, but at least it's a place to start of understanding and awakening in us who we are as a people, a great, great masterpiece of God. Black self-determination is an important thing. And the truth is that we are constantly the most left-behind peoples in the world still today researching for black history puts me in some places that are just horrendous of the things that are still happening today the disrespect that people of color encounter and endure across continents not just North America but places like Australia Africa our quote birthplace and everywhere else on the planet it's just phenomenal not in a good way but in a a scary way that your skin color alone can put you at risk And a danger and so it is important for us to constantly especially for the next generation repeat our history over and over because the indictments against our differences offer excuses for the depreciation of our value and can even threaten our existence. I was saying to my husband sometimes. Even in the intersectionality of our lives. Where you intersect race and gender. You can even be more threatened. We had that conversation this morning. As the as women's soccer team. We're again battling for equal rights in pay. And I said to my husband. There we go again. Race and gender can actually physically harm us, emotionally damage us, and dear I say, financially destroy us. And so it's important for us to find spaces and time not only to look back annually, but to go through exercises Where we're able to be challenged to stand, to live, to exist, to move forward, and to be strengthened so that generations following us can look back and say, I am standing on sister so-and-so shoulder. In the most recent past, I just want to share a couple of stories with you just for intro. We had some seniors in this place back when we were down College Street and even when we moved here. Right where the Henry's are sitting, I see quite often when I'm up here preaching, I see Gertrude Brown with her fancy little shoes. And her, walk on through the wind, walk on through the way. and your dreams. I, I hear that playing in my mind many times. There are occasions when I'm going through my old paraphernalia at home. And there's Lucille Chan. There's Mother Holder. And dare I say, since she's passed, Mother Ermy still sits there. You may not know it, but a lot of times my eyes are over here when I'm preaching because I'm feeling her. She's my my mentor. Extraordinaire. People that have lifted me up, have covered me, have prayed for me. And once in a while, when I'm feeling down, I think about Mother Thompson and I hear her say, just trust Jesus. Just trust Jesus. God has put people in our life. And we're only here today because they have lifted us and carried us in their prayers like songs on the wind. Our job now is to make sure that we're creating spaces in our lives so others can say, I stand on the shoulder of this man or this woman. Because we all need to take up the mantle of our destiny. That's church. Many years ago, I was working at a long-term care facility. I started off as a regular RN. Somewhere along the line, I decided I want to switch jobs, and I took on the role of a wound care educator. I would go around and look at the diet, look at the care plan, change everything to promote healing of the wounds. Then I encountered a woman. She she was perhaps in her late 80s or maybe 90s. I don't know, she was quite elderly. She was from Jamaica originally. I won't go into the details of her condition, but it was very bad. It was horrible. Uh, 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 it's undescribed horror. I'm a kind of a person, I'm very patient, but when I get angry, <laughs> I can get angry. And I remember banging. <laughs> Every morning we would have these boardroom table discussion where nutritionists, doctors, everybody, social work, we're all analyzing the patients and who needs specific care. And the condition they had that sister mother in was so horrific. And if I was not in the position I was in, I wouldn't have known. But sometimes God purposed and put you in places to see certain things. And I remember just after a few meetings and this woman's name came up and nothing being done, I remember just banging my fist on the table and said, that's it, I want her out of here. She's gotta be discharged to a hospital. That day they, they did, much to the relief of all the staff. I remember going to the hospital to visit her. She had no children. She had no family in Canada. She had one sister in Florida. I remember calling her to say your sister is in a mess here in Canada. She couldn't come. But when she told me her sister's story I realized why God sent me in that situation. Because I could practice as a nurse in Canada sort of okay, to a degree. She was one of the first woman, black woman, to come from England to Canada to be a nurse. There were a few of them, and in that group of the few of them, they created waves and spaces so that many other black nurses could come here and practice. And it occurred to me that her investment of her life has benefited me. And now I have to do my best for her last years on this Earth. And so the, the nurses and the staff didn't know I wasn't a relative. They was, "Oh, your daughter' is here." Oh, your daughter came again. They didn't even know I don't know this one from out of the blue. But in my, in my psyche, I understood that she made a way for me. She paved a way for me. And that is why I'm saying that we're standing on the shoulders of people we don't know. Some of their names will never be in the history book. But that does not mean that God have not used them to make a way for us and that is why it should break our hearts when the young people come here and all they're doing is shooting each other and getting into all kinds of trouble because they don't understand they have it easy in this country but it has not always been so many have sacrificed given much and dear i say die to make us free And so black history is an important investment of our time our knowledge our research our investment so that we can have nuggets of discovery not just of past heroes but also of our own duty to represent in their honor and live grateful so that others can come and stand on our shoulders. Because the shoulders that we stand on are many and varied. And somehow we may not know it, but our lives intersect with theirs. So black history is about a people who were, people who were prophets, Fighters, people of strength, people of resilience, and dear, I say, violence. It's about those who stood up, (laughs) defended, shouted, marched, stood through suffering and trials, trailblazers and torch carriers, lighting a way of hope for us in this dark and hostile environment. And those of us who have survived as descendants of the Atlantic slave trade should know and understand that we would not be here, but for the brave Moses is on whose shoulders we stand. We love Haiti and we should love Haiti because we owe our freedom in large part for the bravery of the Haitians. They were the first country to have emancipation from slavery and it came at a bitter cost. It's estimated that at least one million Haitians died throughout the many revolutions that they've had. That's a lot of blood. That whole country and, and the, the other side, Dominican uh, Republic. Blood-soaked, blood-stained country. The slaves outnumbered the whites ten to one. If there were a hundred slaves or a hundred thousand, I should say, You're looking at about a hundred or so whites, but yet when they are equipped with guns and and, and high-tech power that can intimidate you, you're subjugated for hundreds of years, but they say we wanted to be slaves. That's why we weren't free. The Haitians fought bitter. And died. And when the rest of the Americas and, and, and the United States, before they were United States, but the, you know, North and South America, saw how the Haitian heard the news about the Haitian slave, it gave impetus to, 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 to the Maroons in Jamaica and in, in other parts of the Caribbean to do likewise and set ourselves free. But it was not an easy task. It never is an easy task to walk out of bondage, whether it's physical or spiritual. It's never an easy task. But because of their bravery, because of their relentless love for freedom, because they refuse to be snuffed out, those who did so trying, their blood speaks a better word. And today, we want to drive home the whole idea that we could be free in terms of a political sense, living in Canada, but that does not mean we're totally free. There are effects and damage that has happened to us because of slavery, and until we reconcile the past, It's going to be very difficult for us to fully be emancipated now and in the future I want to draw from Scripture not just here to tell stories you know I love the Word of God and I draw strength from that and we're gonna do the same today we're gonna pick up from where we left off last week talking about Moses we draw from his narrative because many enslaved blacks found parallelism between the story of the lived biblical exodus of the Hebrews and our own journey to this part of the world. The Caribbean, the Americas, England, Canada. Slavery was a practice of the Near Eastern culture in in, in terms of the the, the Hebrew people. And there's a a significance to their journey and ours in in, in so far as the brutality, the abuse of bodies, the emasculation of men, the rape and the horrid things, that occurred to the women and the children gives us a sense that if God could do it for the Hebrew people, then God must have done it for us. That somewhere in all of these stories, God wasn't asleep, he was aware, he was conscious of the suffering and the punishment of his people and so Moses like most heroes as we will see from his story did not plan or calculate his own greatness Moses may not have even entertained the idea that he was special And just as every Jew stands on the shoulders of Moses for their existence, we too stand on the shoulders of our ancestors who answered the call and lived and died for our freedom. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 to 22. Exodus chapter 3. Verse 11 to 22, I'm reading from the ESV. So last week, we left off where God met Moses at the burning bush. Moses was startled, and then God said, I have an assignment for you. Chapter 3, verse 11 says, God is speaking. And he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, I like this. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. Promise. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go. A three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. After that, he will let you go and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver, gold jewelry, and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Let's look at the backdrop in this text. God doesn't sleep. He neither slumbers. Nor sleep. It may be ten years, but God is aware of your pain. It may be three hundred years, God knows what's going on. And sometimes when we're going through these trials and tribulations and tragedies in our lives, we're tempted to think there is no God. In fact, I am quite sure that many of the people in Israel didn't even talk about God. That is why Moses had to say, "Who? Who, sh- who? who am I going to tell these people send me? Like, where have you been? If, if you're a God of these people, th- this is pretty much what He's saying to God. Where were you? You know, God don't really have to tell us His name. Just say I am. I exist. The the all existing one, omnipresent one. Just say him or her. I know some of you don't like that, but God is neither nothing. He is God. He's not confined to human definition. He's just I am. Moses is having a conversation with God. and Quite often, people would say Moses was making excuses. Moses had every reason to ignore this request. Moses genuinely was afraid. There's this bush that is aflame and it's not consumed. It's a scary situation. And then... There's a scary prospect that this this God is saying to him, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses had a lot of concern for this request for various reasons. And I'm, I'm going to quickly point out some of my thoughts On this passage. And Moses' dilemma. I believe fundamentally. He had no desire. To return to Egypt. He had come to this place. Where he actually found himself. And found a home. Found acceptance. Among Jethro. And his daughters. Jethro had no sons. He had three girls. Can you imagine the delight of this this priest of Midian when he discovered he finally had a son? Because in fact, Moses did marry his daughter. And so Moses, for the first time in his life, felt a sense of acceptance and belonging. Wouldn't you have an excuse to? Here's the thing, prior to his life in in, in Midian, he had none. He didn't know who he was. He was like some of us. He, He knew he was Israelite, he was Hebrew, but he was adopted and had every right to be an Egyptian prince. But he was neither. He he would have what we would call an identity crisis. How do we know that? Because when he went out, as we talked about last week, and he discovered the Egyptian beating up the Israelite, and he decided he was going to take side out of empathy, perhaps, or wanting to be one of them. He ended up committing murder. Accidentally perhaps. Unintentionally. He killed a man. An Egyptian man. Sometime after he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he stepped in and was told. Who you, who, what do you, who you think you are? You think you're one of us now? So you, you, you're going to kill me? Like you killed the Egyptian now, that's the ultimate slap in the face, if you will. Because here was Moses trying to belong. I'm neither Egyptian nor Hebrew. He fled. And for the first time in his life, he's feeling a sense of peace. And then God just shows up to disrupt his comfort zone. And say to him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Do you know who I am? Can you imagine you asking God? God, do you know who I am? God, I'm a nobody. I'm a Hebrew wannabe, Egyptian wannabe. I'm a murderer. I'm a fugitive. Do you know my reputation, God? Are you sure you got the right man? If you only know God, all the stuff I've done, There is no way you'd be asking me to go on a mission for you. But Moses' story is so quintessential of slavery drama because when you're denied your rights and you're denied your humanity, you can feel like you're a nobody. When you come into a place where you know you're not welcomed, we don't want you here. Have you ever encountered that? When I came to Canada, I remember one night I was in a man's house looking after him. I don't know what possessed him, but he says to me, get out my house. Get out my house. I'm like, okay. My husband already dropped me off and he's gone. I don't know if I can even find my way home. <laughs> he said, get out my house. You people, he says. You come here, you want to take over our country? You have all, a lot of children, so they can just take over. I said, wow, that's the same story that Pharaoh was afraid of down in Egypt. He said, that the Hebrews are multiplying too fast. They're going to grow so large, they're going to take over our territory. That was the big fear when, when, I was, when I came to North America. I tried to explain to the man that I'm here to take care of him. The next thing I know, he called the police. Police said to him, let me talk to the intruder. (laughs) Yeah, talk to the police. They'll come and get you. (laughs) So the cop says, don't worry. He goes, you're black? I go, yeah. He "He hates black people. He says to me, he says, every time a black one show up, he call us. (laughs) He goes, up to you. You can decide if you want to leave or you want to stay. I said, I'll stay. <laughs> and stay I did. And I gave him a pampering that he would never forget. Did it a lot when I came here first. There is something inside of us, all of us, that if we're not careful, we will allow this lack of acceptance, this Push back on who we are to affect our psyche and then we too can come to believe that we're nobody because we're not welcome here we're not accepted and so we carry a stigma of the underclass we and we, we carry a stigma of less than and compound that If you've actually killed somebody or committed some kind of heinous crime. Then now you have to carry the guilt and the shame of that. Because Moses' hand had blood on it. Kind of like Macbeth. You know, who's going to wash this blood off my hand? You know, the woman in the story. And you're carrying all of that inadequacy with you. And, and just realizing maybe for the first time, I can't go back. I can't go back because if I go back and claim my, my Hebrew status, they don't know who I am. And if I pretend to be an Egyptian, I won't pass anyway because I'm very Hebrew and so moses did not consider himself to be anything special so when when we say moses pushed back on god's desire and he and he said to he said to god you know that my speech is a problem i have a, I have a speech problem these are not excuses these are real stuff how can i go to talk to pharaoh when i'm gonna stutter because you see nobody told Moses that because you stuttered that doesn't mean you're not smart it's like President Biden people put him down because you know but he's a brilliant man so somehow Moses did not understand that his speech impediment was not an impediment for God and so God says well it doesn't matter if you can't speak I've already sent Aaron he'll meet you He'll meet you along the journey and what you can't say, I'll put inside an air, and the arrow will speak for you. I got that covered. Because you see, we may not know our capacity. We may not know our industry. We may not know our identity. We may not know of all the stuff that we think need to be top notch in order for us to do God's business. But God knows us. And God is the one who ordained us, and He can put the things that we require in us. And even if He didn't put it in us, He'll make spaces and ways for us. Whom God calls, He equips. And, 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 and when Moses, Moses understood the might and the power of Pharaoh, he was one of his contemporaries. Moses says, You don't, you, you, you know, Pharaoh? Are you joking? God says, I got this. I got this. I, I'm, I'm telling you, when you go to Pharaoh, say to Pharaoh, give us three days so we can go and worship our God on this, in this mountain. He says, but I already know in advance, he's not going to make you do it. Now you may say, God plays games. It's not because God is playing the game, it's because God knows us. He knows our hearts he knows our condition he knows he he knows how we think so he already knows that Pharaoh is not gonna acquiesce he says but I will fix it And, and and so Moses Moses is getting the command and Moses is realizing that this really has nothing to do with him It's just simply all I have to do is open my mouth and speak. I'm not going to be the one to move Pharaoh's heart. I won't be the one to even move my people's heart. I'm just the messenger. But whether or not they're going to do it, it's up to them. This is what God tells him to tell the people. Get ready for the journey to do you can't force them you can't push them just tell them I am say I am the God of your father they will remember who that God is you grew up in the palace you may not have clarity on who I am but all the Levites your people they know they still worship me even though they're in slavery just tell them to get ready and not only that But I want them to walk out of there without fear. They're going to take back what the devil has stolen from them. They're going to literally go to their enemies, the women. You got to love the women. The women probably went and said, let me borrow your jewelry, you know. Let me borrow your gold chain. (laughs) Let me borrow your earring. (laughs) Let me borrow some of those silver stuff because I'm going up to go worship my God. And I need all this stuff. Or maybe God does put a generosity in the Egyptian people's heart. Or maybe just blind them. Because God is not, it, the, the scripture is not saying they just took a little trinket to remember them or anything. Plunder them. Just like if you went to war and you took everything back. And so, what this assignment is saying to Moses, this is scary stuff. Not only are you telling me to go and tell Pharaoh to let them go. But you're telling me to let the people plunder? Like, what kind of weird assignment is this? Going? You know, when God shows up in our life, it ain't always going to be clear and easy. Our assignment sometimes may look mixed up and twisted up. Our job is just to let God do what God wants to do. And you don't have to have all the details worked out. Amen? you only need to know that you're hearing from God and so when Moses in his dysfunctional state of mind took this assignment from God it was unconventional and the mission of God for Moses was about liberation liberating his people, bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And he respond by denying that he was the right man for the job. God didn't say he was. He was the one who disqualified himself. And so often, so often, I don't know about you. So often, we just feel undeserving and we disqualify ourselves oh because we want people to like us we just disqualify ourselves have you ever been there have you ever had a jealous friend I remember when I was in high school I had a jealous friend we were best friend but she was a jealous best friend and I had to always make sure my grades stay a little lower Because if my grade gets a little higher than hers, we are on a cutoff. You know what a cutoff is? You know Caribbean people, we specialize in cutoff. I would get cut off for weeks. Now she didn't have a problem, I had a problem. I had a problem because I worked so hard at wanting to be accepted that I would lower my standard, decrease who I was because I want other people to look better than me so that they're happy. That is what the syndrome that Moses had. I better stay here in the bush and hide out. I really don't wanna go out there. I know I have the, the smarts, the brilliance. I was raised as a prince. In spite of my, he was well learned. You know, he would have had a university, maybe a PhD today. But yet he was hiding his capacity out in the desert with his father-in-law, settling for a life that is a little lower because he was afraid. And sometimes God is calling us to a greater purpose and a greater destiny, but we're scared. We're scared of all kinds of stuff. And so we live below our level of capacity for what we're able to achieve because our inadequacy is stemming really and truly from our missed acceptance and affirmation that we don't receive when we were kids. And so we always place ourselves outside of it. It's kind of like when you're growing up, you didn't feel that full acceptance. You didn't, you didn't feel that aff- affirmation. And so whenever you get it, you don't know what to do with it because you're not accustomed to it. Fears of being caught for things that you've done in your past. Having to answer to your past anxiety over all that makes you feel that you're not the right person and so it is it's an important lesson for us as well who have come out of slavery because studies have shown that we carry a lot of that in our DNA you know in, in spaces where we may look assertive and we may look like we have it all together and yet as soon as a challenge comes up we act inappropriate we, we become angry we fly off the handle where's that coming from where's that coming from sometimes that's coming from stuff that is in us for generations right because we learn from our first families how they deal with one another deal with life and before you know it the very things you say is not gonna happen in your family is taking root in you and your children are behaving just like you and your family before you and their family before you and you make promises and you say to yourself the bus stops here you know, I thought it was just black people who specialize in cut-offs. Until I was in a core group of students, some of them are white and other nationalities. And I remember they gave us one assignment one Christmas. Is that if you have an estranged family member, reach out to them, no matter where they are. I remember people in the group having panic attack with that assignment. Because they had long lost siblings and cousins and other family members that they would not even come near them for the light of day. Generations of family members who never talked to each other. People just estranged. But oh, when we came back the next semester after the Christmas holidays the reports were, were in some cases miraculous because sometimes that long lost sibling or cousin or brother that you think don't want to have anything to do with you it's like in the befriend book of those of you who have been reading um, Anne von Scamp's uh, introduction to the book befriend about the two brothers how one would collect eggs and the other one was collecting uh, um, milk right and they would send them with the children but they're not visiting each other and then one night they, they, they set out to go and bumped into each other halfway. And they sat down and talked to each other after many years of estrangement. It doesn't always happen that way. But sometimes when we're locked into these kinds of family drama and dynamics, it makes it difficult for us to move forward and for God to use us. And so it's important for us to just really dwell and sit back and look at where God has brought us from. And understand that even some of the ways in which we are angry and acting out, it has a history. It has a history, a deep history. I won't go and say it's a curse, but there are things in us that need to be broken in terms of relationships. Let's talk about a real modern day Moses. And as I compared Moses' life, I see her in it. Many of us have heard of Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad coming into Canada. Here's a slave child growing up in the South. Something deep inside is stirring in her life as a child. Most people who end up being called by God to do great things have a childhood narrative that matches that call. Some of us just have to go and remember and sit down with our folks and say, tell me, tell me what I was like at two or three. Someone must have told Moses about that basket. He knew that he was fetched from the water because that is the name his adopted mother gave to him. I call you Moses because I fetched you out of the water. Moses' journey and life is all about that. Fetching out of trouble, fetching out of the situation on on, on the mountain, God showing up. He knew somehow in his DNA that in spite of all the drama of his life, he's destined for God's mission. Harriet Tubman is comparative when I really look at her story. Born into slavery, at 12, God moved her heart. She saw a slave being beaten by a white man maybe a master or a hand she at 12 kind of like greta Thunberg, says you know what i gotta act enough is enough that is what happens when people are born with a call on their lives It, it doesn't have to do with your age or what you've accomplished or your pedigree or or how many degrees you have You just know that you know that you know that God has a calling on your life. At 12 years old, she decides, this is not good. I'm going to take him on. Enough is enough. I don't know if the slave was a relative, but she took it on. And you know her story. The the, the white man, the person who was beating up the slave, took a, a metal frying pan, some kind of thing like that, And banged Harriet Tubman in her head. Cracked her skull at 12. Left her, like Moses, with an impediment for the rest of her life. She had developed brain injury. She had physical carriage issues. And she also had serious seizure disorder. Where sometimes the seizures will take her at random times and she would just seize and collapse and carry on. But yet, as a teenager growing up, she had a plan. I'm going to get out of here. She was, she was able to, to navigate. She couldn't read or write, but she was able to know what is going on around her And you know her story, how she decided that she was going to run away and escape. She tried to get other family members to do it. They said no. She got married. And this is key. When God calls you, he calls you. He calls you. My husband and I would have some amusing conversations about ministry. Because quite often people want to put us as a power couple. You know those power couple? Husband is the pastor and the wife just hang on to him. And once in a while he let her preach. And they present as this power couple. Sometimes we'd be so amused because we don't have that call in our life. To be a power couple. He's like, leave me alone. Let me just play my piano, people. Don't call me up on no stage. I don't want to be on, you know. We're different. He's shy. I'm outgoing. We're not in competition with each other. He doesn't have to look very masculine to be in front of me. Or vice versa. We just do our stuff. And it works for us. Right? This is why Harriet Tubman was married. And when time came for escape, her husband said, mm, "I'm not into that. I'm happy. Not that he's happy, but he's too terrified." And so, honey, when God have a calling on your life, sometimes you got to leave husband behind. That's all I had to say, because Moses had to leave the poor behind didn't he i mean people rewrite the story and whatever i know eventually she caught up with him and all of that but there are times when god called he called you individually you and and, and if he calls you for a special mission the people in your life should support you toward that goal because you see god is bigger than your marriage He's bigger than than your family, relatives, relationships. Bishop Graham, as a youngster, 10 years old, in Guyana, he had to leave family and home or he wouldn't be a bishop today. And sometimes we've got to just pack up and leave. So, like Moses, Harriet Tubman decided he ain't going with me, I'm going alone. She did. Eventually, he married someone else. And that's okay because you're in slavery you're lucky to be married and here's the thing as she's navigating freedom for herself she's looking back and remembering others that she could bring with her a woman a young woman suffering from a seizure disorder a physical malady can't read or write But she keeps returning to the south, bringing people up as far as she can toward the north of America, going back with a a, a bounty on her head. I believe it was the bounty that made the husband say, no, I'm going back, because it was a lot of money back then. They were so afraid of this young woman. And and, and she met a lot of pushback from her own people who felt she was out of order you know but she moved and she kept going back and kept moving and and what i like about harriet tubman's story is that she too like moses was quite humble about her her status like she knew in her mind i'm really no nobody but one thing i know i have the right she's i'm quoting her she says there are two things I've got the right to and these are death and Liberty one or the other I mean to have it's like the Apostle Paul says for me to live is Christ to die is gain Tubman's attitude is I have the right to either death or Liberty and she says no one will take me back alive I shall fight for my Liberty and when the time has come for me to go, Lord, will you just let them kill me? I'd rather die than be a slave. That is what she's saying. And she went on to say, now I've, when she became free, she says, now I've been free, I know what a dreadful condition slavery is. Because she says sometimes when we've given up fighting, we become complacent. And it's only when you're free, you look back where God has brought you from. And you realize, man, my life was a mess. She says, I've seen hundreds of escaped slaves. But I never saw one who was willing to go back and be a slave. That eradicates the lie that we were happy in slavery. So she went She kept going. She didn't know where she was going. She went through marshes and woods and snow and sleet. But she kept moving. She got help along the way. But she had a confidence in her. One of her quotes says God's time is always near. Moses says what took you so long? God says look I know what my people are going through. I see their pain. I see their struggle. But I'm always there. Harriet Tubman found that. She said, He set the North Star in the heavens. He gave me strength in my limbs because He meant that I should be free. That's destiny. It's not about you, it's not about us. God is the one who designs the path. She she was so surprised when she made it out and came into Canada. She said, I found that I had crossed that line. It reminded me of Moses' experience when he was trying to prove God. And God said to him, put your hand in your, in your cloak. You want to know how, how good I am at navigating your life? Just put your hand in your cloak. And Moses put his hand in. And when he pulled it out, it was white with leprosy. Shockingly. And then God says, put it back in. And take it out again. Whose hand is it? It's your hand. As I was reading um, in Tubman's biography. I thought this is so like Moses. She says I looked at my hands. (laughs) To see if I was the same person. There was such a glory. Over everything. The sun. Came like gold through the trees. Over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. It's kind of like one of those surreal moments. Am I really alive? Like, am I alive? That's what freedom is. But here's the thing that even as she's free, she recognizes something that sense of belonging. You know, we can be free, but we don't belong. We can be free, but we're messed up, mixed up, and we don't know who we are. The poignant moment for Harriet Tubman, and I'm sure Moses went through the same thing. She says, I was free. I had crossed over, but there was no one to welcome me to the land of freedom. I was a stranger in a strange land. My home after all was down in Maryland because my father and mother and brothers and sisters and friends were there. But I was free and they should be free. Because she had tasted of freedom, she knew that her people needed to taste it too. And because of heroes like her and Moses like her, we understand what freedom is but there is another kind of freedom that we all need to experience and God is still calling Moses he's still calling us today to be heroes Moses is in our present generation to take people across that finish line that says freedom And our job is to cast a personal vision for our lives because we know that in order for God to use us, we need to learn to stand on God's shoulders as well. Yes, those people of the past, they've carried us. And like we said last week, Jesus is the Moses and we need to put people on his shoulders so that he can take them into freedom. But, it takes practice. It takes practice to understand that even as we stand on the shoulders of others, they were not infallible. They had their weaknesses, they had their failures, they had their moments, but we pick out the best of who they are. And we follow People make mistakes. It is human to err. We can set our faith and our trust in Jesus because you know what? He already made the way for us. He's already set up the plunder for you to succeed. That even as you go through whatever you're going through and you say, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I should back out. Don't do that. He's always making a way. The problem is, is that we don't learn to depend on him. Moses had to do that. Can you imagine the discouragement of his task? Even to begin that task? But God made a way for him. God said, don't worry Moses, I've got you. You know, we all know the phrase lean on. It means to rest or support on something. And we all have done it physically and even emotionally. Just lean on Jesus. Moses did not have an easy time. He had to trust God. What God was leading him to was God. And sometimes we don't know all the details, but we just got to trust God. For those of us who are getting older we may reach a point that we need to lean on a cane or even a walker of course it is important that the object you lean on is stable and it can support you otherwise leaning on that might be dangerous And we as seniors also reach the point where we're often leaning on something that might be dangerous. But it is important for us not to depend on ourselves as we lean. Sometimes I'll say to a senior, where's your cane? They don't want people to see them with the cane because of pride. And they rather stumble around grabbing onto this and grabbing onto that than for people to see them with a cane. But challenges will come in life. And as we age, it will get difficult and sometimes we're going to have to get something trustworthy to lean on. Don't say you're okay with the cane. You know you need a walker. I'm just saying. Right? And don't say I'm independent. I can think for myself you need Jesus. He's the only one who's capable. And Moses learned that. Harriet Tubman learned that. Any historical figure who have to fight battles know that they cannot do it on their own. Learning to lean is experiencing wisdom, experiencing love, experiencing guidance and peace and power that only God alone can supply. So we need to learn to trust him. John Stallions penned these words. In the early 1980s, he was an evangelist, a pastor and a preacher and a gospel singer and composer. And we chose it to close the service today, but I thought, I like to know the backstory, because this is a song that have always blessed me as a servant of the Lord. What is the intention of the writer? And we're going to sing that song momentarily. It's called Learning to Lean on Jesus. He writes, what a comfort to know that there is one who can, we can lean upon. He wants to help us with all the details of our lives. Moses did not have to work out the details. God already worked them out in advance speech impediment taken care of whether they're going to listen to you or not taken care of Pharaoh hard-hearted taken care of all you got to do is get up and go but don't do it in your own power I've got you I got you this is essentially what God was saying to him and so the songwriter of this hymn, he went through a lot of affliction, sickness with his children, just a lot of drama. You know, when we sing these songs, sometimes we realize there is a story behind them that could have caused this man to collapse. This pastor evangelist to collapse. And as I was reading his story, so many times we tempted to think why bad things happen to good people. Why is it that your life just seemed to be one piece of tragedy after another? Maybe God is going to do something great and use you through those mysterious stories that you've walked through. We don't know. But you can recycle those pain to help other people who are going to go through them as well. Like the songwriter, and I'm sure some of you could testify today, I too am learning to lean. Sometimes you life, you're doing life and you think everything is great. And then boom, the devil throws something at you and you gotta go back to the post and lean again. Maybe it's a tragedy in the family or just whatever, something on the job, things come up, you gotta learn to lean. I'm, I'm, I'm lifting up these two individuals, Harriet, and Moses because I believe that if they did not lean on Jesus they wouldn't have made it through slavery and emancipation we're free but not free from trouble not free from heartache not free from tragedy and pain but like them we gotta learn to lean I'm gonna talk more about the staff next week that Moses had to lean and depend on the presence of God and so as we sing this song today reflect the ways in your mission for life and your journey that you too will be strengthened and learn to lean on the Lord. Did you stand? Could you close your eyes? Lord, it is for freedom that you set us free. So many days we live our lives as if we're not a freed people. We're anxious about this. We're anxious about that. We're worried about the next step. We're worried about the interest rate. We're worried about the bank. (laughs) We're worried about our children. We're worried about our grandchildren. We're worried about school. We're worried about work. And you're always making a way. Forgive us. For trying to work it out on our own, to navigate it on our own. Can we just give God those problems today? Can we just relinquish our rights and authority and let go and let God? Can we just depend on Him this morning? this afternoon and say God yes yes you know me you know my situation you know my circumstances you know what burdens me but Lord I'm leaning on your everlasting arms today where I have been forceful in my own rights help me to just lean on you Lord Let's put it all on you, and let it go. Take me through. Take us through. Be our north star. Guide and direct our lives. For your will. For your honor. And for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus.